It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Bernice Johnson Regan once said, Life's challenges are not supposed to paralyze you. They're supposed to help you discover who you are. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Does being a Christian have to be difficult? Our theme text is found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Okay. Does being a Christian have to be difficult? Joining us today also is Julie. How are you, Julie? Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. This is a great subject. So, coming up in today's podcast— Look, everybody wants to be happy, right? Yet Jesus tells us that to follow him, we have to deny ourselves. Now look, isn't that kind of a bad marketing approach? I mean, what did Jesus mean? We're going to find out in about 15 minutes. Talk about bad marketing. Jesus next tells tells us to take up our cross. Who would want to do that? Is Jesus trying to scare people away from following him? We're going to talk about that in about 30 minutes. And the bottom line Why would someone be attracted to being a disciple of Jesus? What benefits does this life commitment bring, and at what cost? We're going to put this on the table in about 45 minutes. But before, let's actually set the table. 21st century Christianity can be confusing. With all of the denominations, interpretations, and approaches to Scripture, it is hard to fathom that they all claim to represent the same thing. So what's the bottom line? Is being a Christian being being a true Christian now, is it a difficult way of life or is it a privileged way of life? Does it place demands on you that are unreasonable to the average person or does it promise and deliver some kind of abundance that the average person would notice? Does Christianity fundamentally change you or does it help you be the best person you think you can be? Is Christianity an exclusive calling of those who would do the hard work or does it work by way of general knowledge and discovery. A lot of questions. Let's see how Jesus describes what following him looks like and what it produces. So this is a big subject for one podcast, and there is a lot of great material we're going to be going through, so stay with us here. The context of our theme scripture, Jonathan, you read it already, was Luke 9.23. The context of this scripture occurs sometime after Jesus' miracle of feeding 5,000 people. Now, he did this with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. That's a big miracle. So let's just get back to that theme scripture one more time, Jonathan, because we're going to spend literally all of our time referring back to this text. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take this cross daily and follow me. Okay. There are in this scripture four basic building blocks that give a description of discipleship to Jesus. There's four building blocks in this very straightforward text. We're going to take each element of these building blocks and use it as a basis to examine 
how hard Christianity is supposed to be. Is it supposed to be really hard? Not that hard? Somewhere in between? We're going to find all of that out. So let's dive right into this. Julie, what's the first building block? Well, Jonathan just read that it started with, if anyone wishes to come after me, and so our first building block is we have to aspire to something higher, and I might add, we need the desire to aspire to something higher, or else none of this is going to interest us. See, she's been hanging around me too long. You notice that? (laughs) For sure. I picked up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, aspire to something higher. Now, we're going to look at Christianity from a very personal perspective, and then we're going to look at it from a godly perspective, from, from God's perspective, because you see things differently depending on the eyes that you're using. From a personal perspective, we're going to begin with, being a Christian begins with a desire to follow. Now, this desire, just like Julie was saying, is much more than an attraction to Jesus. It is an aspiration, an aspiring to follow him. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 28 as an example of this. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Just to clarify, the word hate means loved less. So what Jesus is saying is, Put God first and think of him in everything you do. Love your wife as yourself. Provide for your family. For if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. Raise your children in a God-honoring way. Now continuing in verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Okay, so we've got this sense of Jesus calling us to something higher and something a little more difficult, okay? It, it, it's not an easy thing that he's talking about, talking about counting the cost. Uh, again, mentions carrying this cross, and I'm glad you clarified the thing about not hating but loving less, keeping things in a very specific perspective and order. Jesus specifically spoke words like this to give pause to the crowds. He's testing their motives, Here's the thing. you got to ask yourself and put yourself in, 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 the, in the position of answering, having to answer this question either of two ways. First of all, were, those, were, were the crowds, are we perhaps desiring to be part of something impressive, miraculous, and newsworthy, because G- Jesus certainly was newsworthy in his day, or were the crowds, or maybe are we, aspiring to be part of something profoundly difficult and life-changing? Something that stands out to me, Rick and Julie, about becoming a disciple in verse 27, it says, we're to sit down and count the cost first. Are we prepared to give all our time, our possessions, and our wills to do God's will? Do we have the determination to fulfill what is required? So, Jonathan, you're really leaning toward, whoa, this is a really difficult thing. Well, counting the cost, absolutely. And is that required? Okay, is all of your time, is all of that effort required? So we have to unfold all of this as we go. So good, we're, we're, we're getting into it, and there's a lot to deal with. There's a lot to deal with. So we've got this sense of counting the cost because it's something really serious. So whatever the answer is, you have to understand that the input requires really serious thinking. That's, that's a really good place for us to start. Now let's take a look at this from a divine perspective. And when we look at it from a di- divine perspective, we're going to call it discipleship. And the reason we're 
contrasting Christianity from a personal perspective with discipleship from a divine perspective is sometimes in the, especially in our present day, Christianity today is not what Christianity was originally. Discipleship, however, is not a word that everybody uses, and it means to be a learner. Being a learner of Jesus never changes. And so from a divine perspective, discipleship actually begins with the decision by God, <laughs> by God to call you, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, this is an important point. We just received an email at inspiration at christianquestions.com asking, is it a sin to force someone to convert to Christianity? And so, you know, first, we've got no right to try to override the free will of another. But second, a true conversion can't be forced. We are instructed to preach the gospel, but this calling comes directly from God. He alone decides who's going to receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, which is God's power and influence working in our lives. Discipleship is a call, not a threat. Right. So is it a sin to force somebody into Christianity? Yes. Yes, it is. Because, Jonathan, you said that person has to count the cost. They have to be called of God. We can't decide for that person. Now, some of us may look at this and say, well, you know, this is not uh, going to go well because then if you don't bring into Christianity, you know what's going to happen, right? Well, okay, hang on, okay, because that's not a scriptural concept. The idea of a burning hell is not in the Bible. And we're actually, in a few weeks, we're going to touch on that. The, it, our heaven and hell, the, the, the two end results for all of humanity. we got a two-part series coming up in just a few weeks on this. So if you're wondering about that, Stay tuned. Episode 1174 and 1175. Okay. Did come, God make heaven and hell humanity's destiny? Okay, coming to a podcast near you, right? <laughs> All right, so here, this call that we're talking about goes out to many. All don't answer it or maybe even hear it. This has been the case from among the Jews of Jesus' time, as well as down through the entire age of the gospel message. The call goes out, but everybody does not respond. Why? Well, you know what? It's because it's not what we'd like it to be in terms of convenience. Luke 13, 23 and 24. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are to be saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. You know, when you think about the narrow door, you know, and it talks about a straight way, S-T-R-A-I-T, means difficult this does not paint a picture of, hey, come on, everybody, see if you can get tripped up on this path. You know, <laughs> so, so we have to understand what that all means in terms of our Christianity. Jesus wasn't shy about warning potential disciples about the challenges that they would face. So you say, okay, then, you know, the question was, does being a Christian have to be difficult? Yup. I mean, that sounds like it, it answers the whole thing. Is this the end of the argument? No, no, not so fast. Let's turn a corner and take a look at another one of Jesus' teachings. And these verses that we're going to read now, you are all probably very familiar with. Luke, and these are beautiful, beautiful verses. Luke 11, 28 to 30, the words of Jesus. Isn't that Matthew? That, um, that's I what I Matthew. meant. I was just testing to see if you were alert. Oh, good. <laughs> Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
Now you read that, Jonathan, and you go like, oh man, what a comfort. What a great encouragement. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. If you are struggling in your life, come and he'll give you rest. We were just saying, oh, hard, 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 hard. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me. I'll give you rest. So you see, there's this whole other aspect of Christianity that we can't avoid. Jesus promises rest, though he implies work. It's done alongside of Jesus himself. So he's saying the work is not overwhelming. Trust me, I'll be with you if you are a true follower of mine. So you see that there's this this softer, very, very appealing side to Christianity as well. So it, every time we go through this, we want to just kind of wrap it up. What is the difficulty of discipleship? Jonathan, what do we have so far? Discipleship should not be described only as difficult. Rather, we should elevate it to be seen as different. Though Jesus lays out hard and even scary steps, he also assures us of rest from the toil of our lives as he toils alongside of us. Okay, so let's not look at discipleship as difficult. Let's start. Let's start. Let's begin by saying, okay, it's something different. Already we can see that being called to be a disciple of Christ is to be called to live a very different life. Describing discipleship as merely different is incomplete. How else can we describe it for a complete picture? Okay, a complete picture. There's far more to discipleship than just being different, but it starts, it starts, it starts with being different. Jesus was different than the religious leaders of his time because he was solely about doing God's will. This complete dedication to something higher than his own humanity required continuously decisive actions on his part. It required continuously decisive actions on the part of Jesus. So we had that first building block. Julie, what's the second? Well, remember our theme text, which said, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, that was that desire to aspire to something higher, he must deny himself. So our second building block is abandon the old ways. Okay, so you've got the part of the scripture, he must deny himself basically saying abandon the old ways. Now look, from a personal perspective, being a Christian is thoroughly fueled by focusing on and doing the will of God. It's much more serious than simply adjusting our lives. And that's why we talked about Christianity today versus Christianity originally. Christianity today kind of leans toward, well, let's make a few adjustments. What this is saying is deny yourself, abandon the old ways. Christianity truly does require us to abandon our previous priorities, no matter how noble they may have been. Be decisive here. Many have said we should fit Christianity into our lives. But what Jesus is saying is he has, it's the other way around, deny ourselves. I have a simple example. Uh, years ago, I had to stop associating with old friends that had different values than my new life of following Jesus. All right. Simple, straightforward example of real life. Disassociate because you're, you're in a different place. Yes, exactly. I think this next segment we're talking about is going to help us answer another question we received from a listener. 
many people, they're familiar with a kind of like drive-through Christianity where you go to church for an hour on Sunday, makes you feel good, and then you move on with your life. Well, you've both been broadcasting Christian questions every week for over 23 years without replaying one program. That's at least 18 hours of combined study each week to even provide a podcast. And that doesn't include your time spent going to church for half a day on Sunday, weeknight Bible studies, personal studies. How much is too much? Once you know the basic message of God's love, why do you need to hear it over and over again if you are already a, I'll put in air quotes, good person? Okay, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and, and the answer to the bottom line is, look, if, if there are folks that, that just are content with the idea of being, being a good person and, and, and getting inspired by the Word, okay, that's fine. But just realize that that is not what discipleship is. Discipleship is to be a learner, to be a follower. And a disciple would literally follow the Master around, and the Master would teach them what to do and how to do it and why to do it and when to do it. And when we follow Jesus around, what we see is how much was too much. Well, look, he would, he would teach, he would heal, he would pray, he would travel, and he'd do it all over again. And, and you think about that and say, well, well, is it too much? First of all, you take care of your life responsibilities, but you do it all as unto serving Christ, because that's what a disciple does. So how much is too much? I can't answer that for you, but I can answer that for me. And I will tell you, Julie, you know, you described this, you know, 22, 23 years of, of all of that work. To me, I look back, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it is the most blessed thing I've ever done. Would I do it again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just sign me up right now, right here, right now, because the learning that comes through the struggle is priceless. And I will tell you that if you want to be a true disciple, learn through the struggles and then you see that you, you grow into somebody that you never thought possible because it's God's spirit working in you. A whole different ballgame. A whole different ballgame. So the very next verse verifies this decisiveness that we need to have. Okay, so we, we've been looking at Luke 9.23, reading it again and again, pieces of it. Now let's go to Luke 9.24 and 25. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I think, Jonathan, your example of, you know, you, you had to disassociate from certain friends because they were leading you on a different path is a really good example. We're set apart from the world and these things that will separate us from God. And Rick, like you said, only we can decide what those things are going to be. But I know that instead of being self-centered, a disciple is going to be Christ-centered. So, you know, you know that what would Jesus do? You know, yep. you've seen that bracelet or whatever, and I know it's a little cheesy, but it's true. Yeah. What would Jesus do? That's where we're head, our head has to be headed. And remember, it's about, if you wish to come after me, deny yourself. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Jesus himself, folks, listen, he, Jesus, had to abandon his own will as a man whenever the will of God stood above it. Psalm 40, verses 7 through 8, gives us a sense of the attachment to the will of God. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Okay, so your law is within my heart. That means it is one, it's the driving force of my life. So that describes where God's will should be. Matthew 26, 39 describes Jesus' own 
desires being put in check as a result of doing God's will above them. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That this let this cup pass for me. This is a symbolic cup. This isn't some physical chalice right. that he was carrying around. And a lot of Christians have a lot of ideas of what this cup might be. And some would say that this cup is Jesus was asking to be removed from having to die for the sins of the world because the death was just too too much to bear. But we know that cannot be true because his death was necessary to be the ransom for all humankind. And he very clearly was a willing sacrifice. Remember the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth? But as far as what the cup does represent, well, what do you think? Well, th- there are several ways of looking at what the cup represents. The bottom line of this cup, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but thy will. This cup represents Jesus letting go of something of his own in exchange for something of the Father. That's what it really truly represents. And what he's saying is, I have this issue, this thing, and I'm not going to get into what it might be, but what I want to do is put that aside because the Father's will is most important. Nevertheless, not my will. Jesus himself, and this is just before the night of of terror and torture, he says, not my will, yours be done. So he had to abandon his own will. Let's go to a different example. Remember the rich young ruler? He, now, this is a young man. He's, he's wealthy. He lives at Jesus' time. He was enthusiastically faithful to the Jewish law. Okay, Jesus saw this, and he knew that this young man's heart was good. But the problem was his earthly attachments were too big. They were too significant. And this rich young ruler comes running to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so they have a little conversation. We're going to drop in in the middle of the conversation in Mark 10, 21 to 23. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all the possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to the disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Well, how does that work? You know, all three <laughs> of us live in nice houses. We drive cars. Why would Jesus tell the man to sell all? You know, we profess to be disciples, and I'm not selling all. Well, Julie, it comes down to stewardship. Uh, when we dedicate our life to God, we give him all we have, and in return, he gives it back to us to use in his service. We are not our own, and our stuff's not ours either. You know, and and with the rich young ruler, was Jesus really going to be adamant about, you better sell every last thing that you have? Jesus is telling him unequivocally, you can't be attached. Just like, you know, hating your, your parents and all that, Jonathan, you described that before, what that really means. Jesus is saying, earthly possessions should be of no meaning to you or low meaning to you because following me is everything, okay? Now, notice Jesus doesn't say it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom. He does say it's difficult. Our hearts must be willing to let go of earthly possessions. And if our heart is positioned in that way to be willing to let go, God often, not always, but often will give us stewardship, just like you said, Jonathan, of those possessions to use in his service. The key is, am I using everything that I have for Christ. 
do I live my life in a way that has put Christ first? So the flip side would be using these things in God's service of what we maybe wouldn't use them for. Like as a disciple, we wouldn't drive our car to romantically meet someone who's married, right? Yeah. We wouldn't yeah, use our computers right. <laughs> for an ungodly purpose. Right, right, right. So it's taking and sanctifying all that we have and all that we do. And when you sanctify something, you set it aside for a holy purpose. So be clear on that. We've got to be clear on that. Now, to, to move forward from a divine perspective, discipleship is a clear abandoning of our earthly ambitions, but they are replaced by the attention and generosity of the Father in relation to his fulfilling our needs in his way according to his will. And what we mean by that is God takes care of us. Jonathan, let's go to quickly Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And what about self-denial and putting the activities in our lives in a godly priority? We spent episode 1167, Can Good Things Be Bad?, talking about what to do with our free time. That was a great episode to download the CQ Rewind show notes because we've included a decision tree that gives us a scriptural roadmap to guide us with life decisions regarding things like friends, leisure, research, curiosity, hobbies. How do we put it all into perspective? So we're not saying don't live a life. We're saying live your life for Christ. Right. How do you do that? Well, you use that decision tree. You put things in perspective. Now, all of that being said, let's look at the next scripture, because now here we've been talking, oh, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's difficult, difficult, difficult. Let's take a look at Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and get the other side of the perspective here. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you whom his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Now, Rick, is this scripture talking about wants versus needs? You know, this scripture is talking about, and you've got to always put Jesus' words. What's my favorite word? Uh, context. Yes. Everything in scripture has to be understood in its appropriate context to get its appropriate meaning. Jesus isn't just giving you a credit card of asking and receiving. What he's doing, and I should say it's a gift card, you know, this gift card with an undisclosed amount that you can just go and get what you want. Ask because God wants to give you everything. No, he doesn't. What God wants to give you is what's good for you. And what God wants to give you if you are a disciple is what helps you become a stronger disciple. Not pull you away from discipleship, pull you toward discipleship. Remember James said, you ask and you receive not because you're asking based on your own desires. Ask in the right way, with the right thoughts, with the right intentions and motivations, and see how God takes care of you. And his taking care of you is probably going to look different than you expect, but it's going to inevitably, if you're a disciple, it will be better. So, Our abandoning of our will and accepting God's will in its place is a task of daily discipline, but it's not without reward. So that, you know, that previous scripture was good about reward. Well, the next scripture also gives you the sense of winning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, 
but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So we want to strive to achieve or attain the prize, right? But Rick and Julie, most Christians don't even know what the prize is. But in the last segment, we will reveal what the prize is. Oh, and what a prize it is. What a prize it is. And, and again, this imperishable wreath. You know, you think about the, the adulation when somebody wins this race and the people are cheering and the, and, and the wonderment and wow, what an incredible performance and what an incredible athlete. There's this sense of great accomplishment. That's what the Apostle Paul is, is showing us here. But you have to have self-control. Remember, the whole theme here is deny yourself self-control. Next, verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul takes this idea, this idea of, of, of devoted athleticism, and he applies it to himself. Listen to how Paul talks about himself in the next two verses. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Rick and Julie, this is not an adjustment or a tweak in our lives. We need to undo our life life and redo it God's way to be a faithful disciple. Any exceptional athlete will tell you they didn't tweak their life to become that athlete. They dedicated their every part of them to becoming that athlete. Christianity uses that for good reason. We have to dedicate every part of us to this. So Jonathan, the difficulty of discipleship from this segment, tell us about it. Discipleship calls upon us to abandon old, sinful, and earthly ways of thinking and being. Many are content to merely adjust these things, but our calling goes far beyond such a lukewarm approach. Be decisive, rise up, let go, and be counted for Christ. It comes down to being decisive and abandoning those things that are not going to bring us toward this goal. While abandoning our old life seems harsh, it ends up being the only way to actually follow Jesus. Give up to go up. Once we understand the concept of self-denial, what would Jesus have us put in its place? As challenging as the previous two steps may have been, some of our most significant tests of will and focus will come with the next step. The good news is twofold. First, Jesus, and for that matter, all the faithful Christians of old, would never expect anything from us beyond what they were willing to give. Second, all sacrifice, and we are talking about a life of sacrifice, all sacrifice comes with help, comes with encouragement, and it comes with purpose. Our sacrifice is not just some strange, odd thing that happens. It's got a purpose. Trials and difficulties have a purpose. So Julie, what is the third building block here? Well, just to recap, remember uh, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, and that was our first building block, desire to aspire to something higher, he must deny himself. Our second building block was abandon the old ways. And now he says, and take up his cross daily. So that gives us our third building block, acquire a new mission. Okay, take up your cross daily. This is a new mission. The idea of taking up a cross, 
What does that mean? I, you know what? It means you're walking toward death. I mean, think about this. And it's like, hang on, we're going to explain that, okay? But from a personal perspective, Christianity can look utterly distressing. Here, especially, take up your cross daily. To take up a cross in the days of Jesus was to walk toward suffering, pain, humiliation, and a tortured death. Like, ooh. like you said, that's not a good marketing plan. No, no, it's not like, ooh, pick me, pick me. <laughs> you know, you, you look at that and say, wait, wait, what? While this is not at all enticing, all right, it is the pathway our mission of discipleship must follow. It takes devotion. So what does it really mean? What does it really mean to take up your cross daily? Because this is our new mission. Why do we need to do this, first of all? What's, what's the why here? And the why comes from, well, look, that's exactly what Jesus himself did. Hebrews 12, 2 to 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Okay, so he's the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who wrote the book on Christian faith. He wrote it. It's his name. So now here comes the acquiring of a mission as the man Christ Jesus. Here was his mission. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul is showing us Jesus' long-term approach and a moment-by-moment approach in taking up his cross. But each day was not drudgery. Jesus had a balanced life. You know, and that's something we don't often think about. Jesus had a balanced life. His life wasn't always about hurt. You know, think about the joy that he got from healing, from teaching, from playing with the little children that would come to him, from having dinner with people, from walking and talking and getting to know folks, from, from just being a human being amongst other human beings. There was a, there was a joy to that. You know, and in, in, in the Hebrew scripture, it talks about the joy set before him. The joy was doing the will of God, and the joy was his eventual being brought back to heaven. And we're going we're gonna to expand that in a, in a much bigger way l- later on, but there's so much more to Jesus than, well, it was all sacrifice. Yes, it was, but there was a balance, and there was a goodness, and there was a happiness in all of this as well. Say, having said all that, he did need, he did need to suffer. How do we know? Hebrews 5.8 tells us. And this is from the King James Version. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And Rick and Julie, that word suffer means to experience a sensation or an impression, usually painful. Okay, so things which he suffered doesn't have to be hurt, but usually it kind of means something that's painful. doesn't mean that all painful things are bad. Have you ever exercised and woke up sore the next day? Is that a bad thing? No. no. That's a good thing. And this is part of the discipleship of the taking up our cross daily, is going through and growing through, realizing that the pains and difficulties are for our good. That's what Jesus knew. That's what he understood. He was not suffering, like you said, Jonathan, every day of his life. But here's what he was doing every day of his life. He was sacrificing his own will every day. And in many cases, it was a joyful experience. And he was experiencing being offered up every day of his life. That doesn't have to hurt. That can be a joyous, wonderful thing. If you're a Christian, you must love God. How much do you love God? How much do you love Jesus? Do you want to give to them? Do you want to bless that love for them? Or do you want to just kind of let it hang out there? You see, 
giving ourselves to Christ is a joyful thing. It doesn't have to be a hard, hard thing. Having said that, we have to suffer and be offered up as well. Philippians 1.29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Same word for suffer there. Yeah, but everybody's suffering. You know, we receive heartbreaking emails and blog posts of people who are physically sick, mentally sick. They've lost their jobs. They're being abused. They can't just catch a break. We all suffer. So I have three questions for you. (laughs) Why am I any different from my Muslim neighbor who's going through the exact same experience? He lost his job. I lost my job. We're both suffering. And two, you said suffer for Christ's sake is what Philippians said. How do we suffer for his sake? And three, why would a loving God want us to suffer at all? Okay, so how am I different from my neighbor who's not a Christian? That's the first thing. We go through the same sufferings. Here's the thing. What's the purpose of my suffering as a Christian? And if you say, I don't know, then you need to put your, your, your nose in the book. You need to talk to somebody who else is a Christian, and you need to figure out that our suffering is for the purpose of helping us grow spiritually. So my suffering has a very specific spiritual purpose. And, you know, my life hasn't been without suffering uh, from a lot of different perspectives. Had lots of family tragedies and things happen over the years, and they, and they were times of great suffering, and they were times of great growth. Okay, so the first question is, our suffering is because we're Christ's disciples. He learned through the things he suffered. We should learn to be like him through the things that we suffer. And the Lord's permitting these things because we're getting these trials and testing specifically for us. Is that right? Right, right. Okay, now your your second question just slipped my mind. What's your second question there? How do we suffer for his sake? Remember Philippians 1.29 said... You suffer for Christ's sake. Because what you do is you put the suffering in the context of this is, I can use this experience to glorify God through Christ. And by saying, I can take my suffering and glorify God through Christ, you're now suffering for his sake. That's if you do it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. And the third question again, I'm sorry. (laughs) Why would a loving God want us to suffer at all? You know, God is not up there saying, well, you know, boy, I can, let me see how I can get Jonathan to suffer this week. You know, last week was too easy for Jonathan. I'm going to make him (laughs) suffer this week. Yeah, that's not it. Remember, suffering and sin is all as a result of Satan. Suffering is for the purpose of being able to expand beyond the sinful state that we're in, to be able to rise above it, to learn the self-discipline so we can be more Christ-like. There is a tremendous, tremendous end result to that. Tremendous end result. We're going to get into in the next segment, okay? And it, and, but it brings us to a very specific end, which is glorious and wonderful. And every Christian would want to sign up for this if you really understood what it, what it truly is. So, And I, I noticed on your schedule of what's coming up, it's episode 1176, Does God Really Want Me to Suffer? Because this is a very important and very large topic. Absolutely. And we have a purpose to our suffering. What we gain through experience, we then reflect on and learn the lessons God has for us. In turn, we want to pass it on and what we are taught to help others. If we don't reflect on what we've learned or share with others, then those experiences are wasted. You know, and that's a huge point because it's not about Rick getting through his experience. It's about, by God's grace, Rick gets through his experience, learns something, and then by God's grace, 
Rick needs to be brave enough to share it, to encourage others. I know what you're going through. I've been there too. Here's what I learned. Here's how God helped me. To, to be vulnerable, to share the experience. So our suffering is more than just for us individually. It's for us collectively. But the question is, do we use it that way? So that's all from that personal perspective of, of what Christianity looks like. From a divine perspective, discipleship and its necessary suffering are important life experiences we need to be developed. God is saying, I need you to be different than you were. This is grooming us to be trusted with a glory, I'm going to get into this in the next segment, that is beyond human comprehension. you got to see how big this is. This glory is only acquired. The only way, the only road to that great glory that we're talking about is taking up our cross daily. You know, you've heard the phrase, you can't get there from here. Well, I'm telling you, you can't get there from here unless you go this way. This is the way to get there from here, and it's through the taking up of our cross. Let's look at Romans 8, 14 to 18. Let's do 14 to 16 to start. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so let, let's pause there for a minute. The Spirit of God, and Julie, you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, the Spirit of God is the key factor in the life of a true Christian, and it helps you to understand that you are a son of God. And that means if you are God's son, boy, does he love you. Boy, does he want the best for you. Boy, is he going to customize your experiences so you can grow up to be that mature adult in Christ. And here's what comes from it, verses 17 and 18. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, another tease for the glory, okay? Now, but here, look at this. Heirs of God and fellow or joint heirs with Christ. That gives you a pretty big hint that there's some incredible blessing down the road. How do you get there from here? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. That's how you get there from here. We're called to be children of God, to be joint heirs with Christ, to suffer, and I might add, to suffer for a short time. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17. And Jonathan, I love this verse because it's concise in its explanation of suffering. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. Well, this is talking about transformation, but not an instantaneous transformation. Right. Discipleship requires maturity and experience, and that's developed over time. Now, the average life expectancy is about 80 years versus all eternity. It's so worth it. Yeah, well, <laughs> Good and, point. yeah, and, you know, and, and when we put it that way, when it says a momentary light affliction, it just gives you a sense of, wow, there's something bigger here. So our third building block, remember, it was acquire a new mission. What is our new mission? 
Okay, it's this taking up our cross daily and say, okay, so I got to carry a drag a cross around with me. What does that mean? It means to walk like Jesus walked, to walk through your trials and your difficulties with the purpose of becoming more Christ-like, with the purpose of becoming mature in Christ, with the purpose of serving others, with the purpose of being part of the body of Christ so that you can be a blessing and receive the blessings from above. So the mission is a transformed life. Now, it brings us someplace else, and we've been talking about this glory thing, we're going to get to it next segment, but the mission is to be different. And, And Jonathan, I think you said it last week, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Because that's not what discipleship is. It's bigger. It's bigger than that. So the mission is transforming your life by the renewing of your mind and doing the perfect will of God. So, Jonathan, let, let, let's, let's wrap this up. The difficulty of discipleship, what do we have? Discipleship requires that we acquire our own cross, for this is the pathway to glory. Rather than seeing this as difficult, let us look at this through the eyes of devotion and see it as a privilege we are called to have. Okay, so again, rather than see this as, oh man, this is difficult, let's see this as, wow, this does require devotion. Just like an athlete, to be a, an exceptional athlete requires devotion. Just like Jesus, to, be, to do the things he did required devotion. It requires the same of us. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to strive towards. And we don't want to be looking at somebody else's cross. <laughs> there you go. So if we compare ourselves to others, we will perhaps inappropriately build them up and take us down or vice versa. And it gets real uh, icky when we start looking at everybody else's. Yeah. And, and yeah, don't try this at home because that is not a good idea because your, your experiences are tailored to you. That's really, truly, truly very important. It's amazing to see how deep the devotion of discipleship goes. Focus on Jesus and you keep it in your sights. Taking up our cross daily is big. Isn't that enough? What else could be required of a faithful disciple? To carry our cross daily is to carry the name of Jesus daily. There's an absolute correlation there. Discipleship does not require anything else, and yet we see that in this verse that we're talking about, Jesus says one more thing. Now this one more thing is in place to seal the deal to focus us on our being Christ-like each and every day of our short earthly lives. And, you know, we've been talking about going through the experiences. So, Julie, what's our fourth building block? What's this last thing that Jesus says? Well, if anyone wishes to come after me, we desire to aspire. If he denies himself, abandon the old ways, we take up the cross daily. We just talked about that, acquire a new mission. And the fourth building block follow me, which means we acquiesce to the new way. Okay, so, you know, we talked about, well, what's our new mission? And now it's, okay, you've got the mission. Now what? Now do it. That's really what it comes down to. So from a personal perspective, Christianity is a way of life with a very fixed direction. See, there's not a lot of guesswork. It's moving toward God through Christ. Everything, And if what we're doing isn't moving toward God through Christ, turn around. Okay, don't let yourself keep going in that wrong direction. While we as imperfect humans may struggle with our hearts and our minds, our course is always clear. To acquiesce is to stay the course and to follow Jesus. It's to be willing to get up when we fall down, to continue even if it's only with small steps. And this translates into simple, everyday discipline. 
acquiesce to the new way. Simple, everyday discipline. Just a quick side story. My, my sister, Marilee, is a, is a very dedicated Christian, and, and uh, she, she said something at one of our recent uh, Bible studies that really, really resonated with, with me and the rest of the group. She was talking about she needed to get some, some tests about some things and you know, had no idea what the results were going to be. But she went and got the tests and is going home from the doctor with no results yet. And she says, and I looked up and I said, thank you, Lord, for the results. And she said, because you know what? Whatever they are, it's good because it's in his providence. And so think about that in terms of acquiescing to the new way. Lord, thank you for the results. Well, you don't even know if you got the job. You don't even know if, that's right. Lord, thank you for the results. It just puts us in a powerful position to be God-honoring in every way possible. So Jesus, let's talk about this discipline now, classically not only had this discipline, he showed us that his accomplishment is our blessing. John 16, 32 and 33. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Think about the power of that statement. Jesus hasn't yet gone to the cross, and he's taken this evening to encourage his disciples. Matter of fact, next week's podcast is about how Jesus encouraged his disciples before his death. And he's saying, be of good cheer. You will have peace in me. Why? Because I've overcome the world. I know what it's like. I've been there. I did it. And you can rely on me. His accomplishment is our blessing. So we've got to look at this acquiescing thing. What does our acquiescence look like? How do we apply the discipleship, the discipline rather, of discipleship? There's four pieces to this. Julie, let's get started with that. Well, first, it's a pathway of predictable challenge, but there's also promised exaltation in that. Okay. First, and that's First Peter four twelve to thirteen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Okay, don't be surprised at the difficulties. It's not strange. This is to be expected keep on rejoicing because at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. See, this is building up to that big end result that we are thinking of before. So it's a predictable path that's full of challenge, but also promised goodness along the way. Julie, what's next? It's a pathway of approval on which we need to constantly seek better understanding. And we learn that from 2 Timothy 2, 15 to 16. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. You know, and Julie, you asked a question earlier in the podcast about, you know, kind of like the the drive-by brand of Christianity versus what we're talking about here. This is a classic scripture that helps us understand there is a requirement of me as a disciple. I want to be approved by God. Any disciple of Christ wants God's approval. Well, how do you get it? You focus yourself, you give your life and sacrifice and all of that, but this scripture also says be diligent 
to present yourself approved unto God. How? By being a workman who accurately handles the word of truth. How do you learn to accurately handle the word of truth? You study it. You read it. You fellowship about it. You listen to it. You talk about it. You live it. And you go back to it again and again and again. And I will tell you flat out, folks, 20, almost 23 years of Christian questions, I am a learner. And every day, every day, there's something new from the scriptures that I learn. And I just, it is the most amazing thing to me because you think, well, Rick, haven't you talked about everything? Are you <laughs> kidding? Are you kidding? The word of God is so deep. We need to just be able to just dive in. So this is part of what acquiescence looks like, realizing that the word of God is endless in its lessons if we are willing to see it that way. What's the third point, Julie? Uh, well, it is a pathway of hardship, but there's also incredible protection and promised care. We see that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. See, now this is another one of those verses that, again, Julie, one of your previous questions was, well, how come my neighbor suffers and I suffer and it looks the same? Okay, well, because our temptations, our trials, our difficulties are just the same as everybody else's. The difference is, if I'm a disciple of Christ, and my life is about serving God through Christ, then God will take my experiences and use them to help me grow into that better disciple, to change, to leave things behind, to deny myself, to take up my cross, and to do the following, acquiescing, the following, and he will provide a way of escape. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to say, okay, Rick, because you're a disciple, your, your trial isn't going to be as hard as the next person's. That's not what that means. What that means is he's going to get you through it. And sometimes getting through it means you suffer real tragedy and trauma. What do you do with that? Well, Jonathan, you answered that earlier. You take it, you try to absorb it, learn from it, grow from it, share with others, and become closer to God through Christ because his providence is bigger. And like you said, this 80-year lifetime is nothing compared to an eternity with Jesus. It's nothing. What's the fourth uh, point here in this acquiescence, in this follow-me uh, aspect? It's a pathway that leads to big, positive, powerful end results. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 19 for really a beautiful, beautiful text. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Okay, so here's the beginning of understanding the bigness of being a Christian. Up to this point, we've been talking about we've got to develop and we've got to deal with our trials and we've got to be focused on Jesus and all of those things, and they're all good and they're all right. But here's one of the bigger purposes. This is called the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus is the ransom price paid for every sin because he canceled the sin of Adam. Okay, that's a fact. Now, that means that 
the resurrection, and Jesus says in, Ma- in John 5, 28 and 29, oh, day is coming where all, all who are in their graves are going to hear my voice and come forth. And so there's this resurrection period. And then there's a, re- a reconciliation. Man has to be reconciled to God. And this verse says that man is going to be reconciled to God. How is that going to happen? Through true Christians. That's part of your job description. Imagine being chosen by God to be one of those individuals who helps the world get back on their feet so they can honor God again. What better job in all of the world could there be than that? That's part, that's part of what's coming for true Christians. And boy, I'm telling you, it is worth it. So let's go further now. From a divine perspective, we've seen acquiescence, follow me through those four points. From a divine perspective, discipleship and its accompanying challenges represent a life path of refinement. Now this is this refining process prepares the disciple for glory, honor, and immortality. God's goal for us is to have a crystallized character. I think of the process of refining gold. At high temperatures, all the dross or impurities rise to the top, which represents, as our friend Vicky would say, all our yuckiness. <laughs> it is then scooped off the top or eradicated from our hearts. Why is this? Because God requires us to be eternally loyal. You know, there's something powerful about eternal loyalty. When you look at Satan, Satan was once Lucifer, once very, very high and powerful in God's arrangement. Satan was not eternally loyal. Jesus, obviously, was and is. We are being trained to be eternally loyal like Jesus. That is a big deal. That requires work. That's why Christianity is not the drive-by, true Christianity is not the drive-by type, because you are being prepared for eternal loyalty. That means loyalty under any circumstance, any time, any condition, no matter what. That is something that requires all of his work. That's why Jesus puts these four building blocks out there for us. So let's look at Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so blessed are you when things are going badly in your life and you're, you're getting <laughs> heat for your Christianity because, first of all, the prophets before you had that, and secondly, this is part of your calling. There's something wonderful that comes from staying the course through all that. That's why Jesus because says— that's part of your training. Right. Is what's happening. Right, and just the athlete thing. The athlete goes through pain and difficulty to, to become excellent. Our excellency— is, is reflected in eternal loyalty. That's what we're, we're training for right now. So Jesus solidifies the unbreakable and eternal connection between him and his true disciples in our next verse. And it's time to find out what that great prize is that the <laughs> Apostle Paul says, I am going to strive to win this prize. What is that prize? Well, you know, Jesus speaks of that prize in a calm, serene peaceful, big brotherly voice. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. 
believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, I go to prepare a place for you, so you can be where I am. What is this big thing? It is the divine nature. It's being like Jesus, with Jesus. We're promised to inherit what Jesus himself inherits. Now look, folks, when you look at Christianity and you look at discipleship, you can't get bigger than that. Is Christianity a little difficult? Yeah. Is it well worth it? You decide. Jonathan, what's our difficulty of discipleship to wrap this up? Discipleship requires discipline, serious discipline for the purpose of testing, developing, and crystallizing our characters. God's eternal blessing, wait until the end of this road. Some may say to, it's too difficult, but in reality, it is the most worthwhile investment one can make with their life. You know, I think it's important to notice that not every Christian, air quote, is going to get this divine nature. This is reserved for the disciples. It's a very small number of people that will be given this glory, honor, and immortality, it's called. Um, Well, now that you've got your four building blocks, right, we're able to stand firmly. We read of Jesus's final instructions to his followers in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I'll compress that. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And our part of discipleship is to spread the gospel, just like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. That word entrust means to deposit, just like depositing money in a bank. We've got to deposit what we've learned into the hearts of others. Once we've got it, we've got to share it. We've got four practical things we need to have. In order to communicate the gospel, check that out in this week's CQ Rewind show notes. Folks, it's really simple. Discipleship is a lifelong endeavor. It's not something you take lightly. It's something that you have to take seriously every day of your life, but it's worth it. It's not without trial, and it's not without blessing. It's not without hardship, and it's not without glory. It's not without... uh, indecision and and wondering and and worry, but it's also not without the assurance of God's will and God's providence through his holy word. Decide, if you believe that God has called you through Christ, what are you going to do with that calling? Get up and get going, because that's what discipleship is all about. And there's only blessing through difficulty. There's only blessing waiting for you. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions in this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word uh, at Chris, um, spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, we had already mentioned, we're going to be talking about how did Jesus prepare his disciples for his death? For his death, he prepared them. How did he do it? We'll talk to you next week.